Denver Underground number four, Dr. Chris Colwell, Chief of Emergency Medicine Services at Denver Health Medical Center. We talked to Dr. Colwell about tennis, his life growing up in San Diego, an extensive family history of amazing physicians, what Denver Health has meant to him, and what the future has in store for him. Come on, guys! <laughs> Just throwing out a first pitch in a in a major league baseball game. How can you be saying no to this? And yeah, they're kind of going. Eh. So I said, "All right, <laughs> we're not going to turn this down if you guys really don't want to do it." And then I went through a dirt ball. But <laughs> did you hit over the plate or no? no? I, I I was down uh, down low and away. <laughs> okay, uh, that is like that must be the greatest thing ever. That's that's like a fantasy I don't even have it seems oh, so it's awesome totally cool now you can tell I, they wouldn't they wouldn't let me actually stand on the mound yep so i'm even in front of the mound but the, the thing was they walk up and it's like you and me sitting here and somebody yeah. just hands you a ball says throw it right now right so there, it, it, there's no warm-up there's no practice no nothing you just do it and it uh, it reminded me why those pitchers go through those long yeah. uh, processes and then warm-ups before they get ready to actually pitch totally <laughs> i'll tell this will be just a quick story then we can get going but we i used to coach little league baseball um, and we had, we had one kid, we had like a team, so none of the kids ever played. So there was all like brand new kids in middle school and they, uh, the, they could in practice, they could hit it. They could put it right over the plate every time and get in the game. And we, it was just a question of like, if the other team walked more guys in than we walked more guys in, yeah. it just was like this circular thing. So <laughs> the, the nerves around pitching are pretty amazing. No. And I, well, and then also youth baseball, my two sons, Played baseball. My daughter played soccer, but it, I, remember I coached a number of their teams. It was the same thing. And, yeah, uh, I tear my hair out. But they, some of them were actually decent pitchers, but you could never. You're talking about eight, nine year old kids. Yeah, you can't. You can't coordinate well enough to keep the ball at the plate. Yeah, we had a kid lead off second base back towards first base, and that was like that was one of my highlights of coaching ever. It was just being like, God, oh, okay, this is where they're at. Like we have to. We're gonna go back to to step one and. Uh, Get them work how to go around the bases. All right, uh, so let's start. I'm just gonna have you introduce yourself um, for the program, and then we'll we'll start as we've kind of already started. But all right, and I don't know how close. So this, this is actually be. you're pretty good. Wherever you're at a comfortable location, I can adjust. For okay. You. Yep. Um, so my name is Chris Caldwell. I'm the chief of emergency medicine at Denver Health, and I've been in this role for coming up on seven years now, um, and have been at Denver Health for 18. After graduating residency way back in 92, 1992, 1996. Okay, great. And I've been trying to think about, so I've talked to people and I like to generally start at kind of the beginning of where you, where you came from, but I, I think maybe let's start at now because you're at a, at a time of a, kind of a big transition where you're, you're going to San Francisco from here. Um, so I was wondering, I'm sure this is a huge process and there's been a ton that's gone into it and we'll kind of get to that later, but I was wondering if you've thought about like what your last day is going to be like here, and if you if you kind of put thought into that process, what's that's going to be like? So I have, and I've also tried not I've thought specifically about what that looks like, and, and come to the conclusion I want I want this not to be about the ending. I want it to be about the the time here. And I uh, you know when I leave in July to go to San Francisco General, I'll be I've been here 18 years as an attending, and if you add the three years plus of residency uh, prior to that. So, you know, more than more than 20 years here. Um, I, I don't want that to be defined by one shift or one kind of end of end of the time there. Uh, so I, I, at the one hand, I really wanted to 
map out how that looks and then I have come to the conclusion that I don't want, that's not really what's going to define this, so I don't want to be too specific about that at all. It, it's, it's such a great place to be and to work, um, and I we enjoy the environment in the emergency department so much. But I want to take advantage of that and certainly, uh, and certainly spend some time enjoying the fact that this is, uh, this is a process I've, I've, uh, I've been part of for 20 years now. Um, but I think the last shift hopefully will, uh, will not be anything more than, uh, than an enjoyable next step to this next opportunity. Yeah, that's great. That's good. I think that's a perfect way to go about it. So let's talk, let's just kind of start where you came from. So your biography online is, is, is limited. So I saw, um, which I think is great, by the way, I think a lot, like you can find a lot about a lot of people. I think that you, you're, uh, you have very specific things and mainly it's about Denver health. And that, I think that's very, that's great, but it's hard to find things about you. Uh, so it looks like you're from San Diego. Is that where you're born? So no, I, I was born in New York city. Um, my dad was doing his orthopedic residency at Cornell, uh, special surgery in Cornell. And, uh, and so I was born in New York city and then I, we moved around a little bit, but I went to San Diego or, or arrived in California at five and grew up in San Diego. Uh, and then graduated high school there went out to University of Michigan for undergrad, then Dartmouth Medical School, and then did an internship. Back then, our residency was a two, three, four program, okay. and you could do an internship anywhere, and so I did a transitional internship at University of Michigan before coming out here for two, three, four, what was then Denver General residency, Okay. graduating there in 96. Okay, and what was, what was, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back. We're gonna have to go back to like no, growing up. Good. So your dad was an orthopedic surgeon. What, what, what did your mom do? She was a pediatric nurse. Oh, she was. So, okay. and she did most of the last half of her career was teaching pediatric nursing at San Diego State. Okay. And did she have a special field that she was in at that, in nursing? Uh, not beyond pediatrics, no. Okay. This was a time period that you didn't specialize anywhere near as much as you do now. Yeah. So her specialty was pediatric nursing, okay. uh, as opposed to where now they go into you know, oncology or uh, other various specialties within that realm. Okay. And so, what did you enjoy when you were a kid? Like, what were your what were your hobbies? I know you played. I think I've heard that you were a big tennis player. So I, I played tennis growing up. In fact, one of the one of my claims to fame, and with the emphasis being on claim, is yeah. that I have wins on the tennis court over Andre Agassi and Michael Chang. So, uh, and Malavia Washington, who not as well as known as, as they are, but got to the final to Wimbledon uh, okay. in, uh, in, back in 1993 or four, I think. Okay. Um, so we don't talk about how old they were when, yeah. when I beat them. Yeah. Uh, but did I grew Agassi up. still have hair uh, back then? He did. He had hair, Before, but okay. he was, uh, you know, I was 18. He was 15. Right. Uh, I take it. And back then that was a big difference. Yeah. Um, and so I grew up in Southern California playing tennis, which is a which is a, a big area for tennis. Had a nice opportunity to play with uh, with a, a lot of a lot of different people in a very competitive environment. Ultimately, had a chance to play at Division One level at University of Michigan. I tried the satellite circuit for yeah. a while. It became fairly clear that I was not going to make it in uh, a career in tennis. I was able to get to the next tournament at the satellite level, which is professional but it's not it's not the ATP okay. um, the top professional tour and in fact you, what you do is you 
you play the satellites, try to get enough points to get into qualifying for the ATP tournaments. And I was in that first year of satellites, and it was fairly clear that I was not going to probably make a career of this. I was just getting enough to get to the next tournament, but not really much more. And I had this offer for medical school, and so I made the decision to, to go down the medical school route medical for a school. career. That's so, that's so cool. What about, uh, did you have a nemesis? On the tennis court? On the tennis court. Yes, uh, I did. I had a guy named Otis Allman who uh, was a very good player, but I was always ranked ahead of him, but I could never beat him. Okay. Uh, he went on to play at, uh, I think, SMU, um, and we played twice in college. And I, I finally did beat him on the satellite tour, but but up until then, I, I could not I could not beat him. And that was all... Uh... That was all through California and then into college. Correct. At the same time, what uh, what made Otis tough to beat? You know, his game. It's one of those things where, and you see it in sports, you see it in other areas as well. Um, his game was just a perfect match for mine in terms of where his strengths fed off my strengths, and and it, more than anything, I think it was a mentality issue huh. on both of our parts. Uh, he went in there. We we played since we were eight years old or less. Yeah. And and he would go into these matches just knowing he had this uh, this aura over me or something. He went in with all the confidence and I would go in going, why haven't I been able to beat this guy? I've beaten people that have beaten him. I'm ranked higher than he is. I'm often seated higher than he is. And yet uh, I just I couldn't beat him. So I think it was more of a mental issue than it was really a, uh, part of his game. Although I remember being frustrated with his game as well. Okay, that's great. And what about uh, what kind of we'll get we'll get off of tennis here in a second. But no. what was your game? Were you like a baseline guy, or were you serving volley? So no, I was I was baseline. It was in the serving volley era. So yeah. it was in the '80s and and early '90s when when it was the big players, the the McEnroes and the Stefan Edbergs and those type things. You had Yvonne Lendl, but most of the others were serving volley players. And I was just not big enough, tall enough, uh, with a big enough serve to really play that game. So I depended very much on the the baseline, the ground strokes, the return to serve. Um, okay. Those were my strengths. And so I did actually did better on clay. During uh, high school or just before high school, I went down to Mexico City for a year. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I played on clay down there. And that was where I really, my game really started to elevate some because clay is a slower surface. Yeah. It, it feeds more to baseliners. And it was, was much more within my bandwidth. And I got back to... United States and the hard courts and didn't do as well against the big servers. Great. Thank you for the tennis stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, and then, so you came from a medical family. Was this, was like, was being a doctor what you thought you were going to do growing up? Or what were your other interests and in things that you, that you thought of? It was completely what I thought I was do, would do growing up. Okay. And then when I got into college, uh, late high school and college, you do what I think you do at that age and you yeah. rethink you know, just really what I want to do, what I meant to do, what other things are out there. Um, and I thought of, about a variety of things. I was um, at a at University of Michigan, a really strong history department. Huh. And I was fascinated with some of the history courses and, and really envisioned for a while uh, being a history professor and uh, and going down that route. But eventually came back to medicine and, uh, and really through volunteer efforts, those type of things, transitioned from medicine being a career that I was going towards because my parents did it to medicine being a career because I really felt called to do it. Okay. And that then made the switch 
in my mind back to towards the end of college saying, all right, I'm going to go down there. I had even withdrew my name from the MCATs uh, and had and, and looked at other graduate schools and then went back in during senior year, took the MCATs, applied late in the process and was fortunate to get a, get an acceptance from Dartmouth. Yeah. So what, uh, what, what part of history was most interesting to you? Like what really was, how about this? What, was there a teacher or a person? Cause I think most of the time, a lot of that is who you're around and kind of the passion they bring to it. I'm yeah. not sure if that was, if there was somebody in, in your past that kind of drew you into history that way. And then maybe somebody in medicine that did similar too. So there was for history. There were one of the professors there really stood out. A guy named Dr. Lindbergh, um, who I uh, who was a just a great, passionate teacher. And you're right. We, we always go back and we think about people that uh, that have excited us about a topic. And actually, my son has one of those in algebra of all oh. places. He just he loves the topic so much, and he teaches in a way that gets you excited about it. And sure enough, he somebody who has always struggled with math has got an A in algebra because of this teacher. And there was the history department had a lot of very strong people, and but I, and one in particular. But I think you're right. I think that's what inspired me about history in some ways, and which why I envisioned that for a while. And then for medicine, I think it was it was a series of great mentors and people that really left indelible marks in my career. But it started off with going back to seeing the satisfaction that. Not just my parents, but I have a number of family members, uncles and cousins and one all over. It felt like that we're in medicine. And when you really ask, so what what do they get satisfaction out of their lives and their careers? It was taking care of people. And being able to come home and saying I made a difference in somebody's life. That was always something that was intriguing to me. And so seeing that and then as I got more into medicine, being able to have people that were passionate about medicine teach me me learn from them, watch them, see a career develop. That's what really drove that. Yeah, that is a real, I mean, that's a huge break. History is, you know, I, you have the, I, I have those passions that are intellectually stimulating, but they, they don't have that same, uh, well, I, the only word that comes up was like oomph, and that's not a, that's not a good word. That's, <laughs> that's kind of what it is. No, and I, I mean, I, you still keep some of those passions. I yeah. still, for a while, we would, when the attendings were doing pearls, I would usually throw in like a history pearl somewhere in there as yeah. well and say, so on this date in history, what happened and uh, why is that significant to what we're doing now, those types of things. And uh, I think we can always keep those passions, be it hobbies or, or other things as well, and we should. I, mean, I worry more about people that, as much as medicine is an all-encompassing career and a great one to have, you also have to have outside interests. and. And you need to you need to really nurture those and, and explore those and be it athletics or be it other topics. I think it, it's critical for you as a physician to be able to bring more to the table than just a medical knowledge background. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what humanity. I mean, that's I think that's a great part. And actually, we'll get this will just be a little sidebar. But I think yeah. that's one of the great things about the ED is there's so much about humanity that's just that's <clears throat> it's almost. Uh, it's cleaned of a lot of the the scraps that we see in in, in everyday life because um, people are in such uh, acute situations and those connections about the rest of life I think are really what what brings it a lot of heart to it in a lot of times. Absolutely, yeah. and and it gives you enough to, to explore uh, other things about our patients. Yeah, find out what interests them, what they're passionate about. Sometimes there's some overlap, and, and yeah. it's fun to get into those issues. But you learn more about your patients that way when you 
find out more about them than they're just the fact that they're there with chest pain yeah or that they've broken their arm or something like that yeah absolutely okay so when you were in michigan what were the uh what were the volunteer activities that you did that, that kind of drew you back to medicine at that time so we we had a couple of opportunities at the hospital there um, that you would do volunteer work both through our fraternity and then as individuals and so there were there were some of those uh, opportunities as well and then over the summer i would work as first as an orderly in in one of the local hospitals back in san diego and um and then they were the va was actually probably the most substantial volunteer work or impactful volunteer work that i did because as with so many things in the VA, they just, they kind of threw you in there and said, you know, go at it. And so there was this big group of people that had huge needs and not a lot of resources to meet those needs. And you as the volunteer were kind of trying to do a little bit of everything, transport people where they needed to go, help them find uh, something to eat, uh, get them to the bathroom, just any number, just a waiting room for the outpatient clinic. Yeah was had had huge needs and so that was the first time i felt like here's where you can make a difference and the doctors that these people are seeing are sometimes the only physicians that they have seen in years and will see in years and even i as a high school college summer job person could see there's an opportunity to make a difference in lots of people's lives awesome um okay so you're you're at Michigan. You get into medical school, and then uh, what was what was that transition to medical school like for you when, when you went there? So that's where it's right when I was thinking about tennis too. So I was playing okay. Division One tennis and thinking, you know, maybe that's a career. And and it was that summer that they gave me the acceptance to medical school, and I said, okay, I'm going to play these tournaments, and I I put it on hold. And they said, okay, we need to hear by August 17th, and I started the tournaments in May and I, I remember playing through and, and came into August 12th or something along those lines. I mean literally within the week of having to tell them and it was agonizing back and forth do I play another year or do I just go ahead and start med school now and I remember coming off a match that was particularly tough against a guy that was not was not the kind of player he was kind of a, a, the eternal satellite player yep. the kind of player you need to beat if you were going to go to the next level and I had lost in three sets and it was one of those where I just said I don't know it was becoming clear that it was so much fun and I was blessed to be had the chance to play where I was, but I I didn't have the skill set to really to to be the Andre Agassiz and the Michael Changs and, and, and those of the world. So um, so I made the decision to go to medical school. So it was a very quick transition at that point of jumping off of that and into, you know, a week later we were in orientation for uh, for medical school. And Hanover, New Hampshire is a beautiful place in the fall and early fall, uh -huh. late summer. Um, growing up in San Diego, it, it was very different. <laughs> now, Michigan was the first uh, difference. But now this is this is true New England winter. So it was, it was a bit of a transition to yeah. go out there. And the campus was very small, very two hours out of Boston, kind of felt a very rural feel to it. Um, so it was a very different experience, but it also allowed me to really focus on medicine. Do you think uh, the preparation, did you, did your tennis preparation and kind of, did that give you a work ethic going into medical school or were those two totally different types of uh, activities? No, I think it's a great point. I think that tennis from the very beginning and as, as with other sports or other activities can teach you what it takes to really excel at something. Yeah. 
And although I never excelled at the ultimate level in tennis, playing Division One tennis and trying the satellite tour, I reached a high level and I recognized that I probably reached the highest level as I could through extraordinarily hard work, uh, a lot of practice time, a lot of focus, a lot of times that I'm on the tennis court where my friends are having fun and, um, and, and what it takes to really excel and exceed at something, even to the point of something like a schedule during college. So college is that first time that you can kind of schedule whatever classes you want at whatever times you want. And yet I was regimented in that our practices were from 2 to 6 p.m. every single day. And so all the classes had to be done by one. And so we really were up, you know, for the labs and any of those things, you had to, some classes had to start at eight. And in college, you know, the, the tendency is particularly I was in a fraternity and it was a lot of fun, but you'd stay out late and you'd get up late. Yeah. And I had to be in bed at a reasonable time because I had to be up at eight because I had to get those classes done and be, and then I was exhausted from the tennis. And really only, just only study time was when you got home from practice until you you went to bed. So the day was regimented. Yeah. And that was a blessing for me because I do much better under a, a structured environment than if you say, hey, I've got one project you to do is going to take a half hour at some point today. I'm going to have a lot more trouble than if I've got 20 projects each take a half hour and you have to do them in 10 hours. Yeah. So it really provided, tennis not only provided, I think, the the sense of what it takes to really excel at something and really be good at something, but also a regimen or a structure that, that helped focus that effort. Okay. And then, so you, uh, during medical school, what, what kind of grabbed you in terms of your interest? You had an orthopedic father, uh, mother who was a pediatrician. And then, so how did you make the decision or what, what drew you towards emergency medicine? Well, it's another interesting story because, right, I, not only did I go through college, a lot of college thinking I was going to be in medicine, but then I went through a lot of medical school thinking I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah for obvious reasons, um, and then even did a, a, a third-year clerkship in orthopedic surgery in Massachusetts at, at Massachusetts General with uh, with one of the icons in orthopedics that my dad had worked with and got a great evaluation and was kind of seeing that ticket there. And then in the summer of my, the beginning of my fourth year, I did a, an emergency medicine rotation at Massachusetts General. Okay. Huh. Uh, and, and remember, remember thinking the mix of when I was in the operating room at orthopedics and at one point I was you know doing what medical students right. do is uh, kind of the, the, the water ski right you're yeah. back with your retractors hold this leg this way for right. the next hour and, and I looked down at the retractor and my dad's name is on the retractor he had designed that particular huh. retractor and I remember thinking at that point so first of all I'm not sure I don't know that orthopedics is, is where my real passion is I can see that I'm going to spend a fair amount of my career trying to distinguish myself okay. outside of what my dad had accomplished. Um, and then, and, and number two, or number three, I did your classic, what everybody tells you in the interviews, but actually was true. And for those of us that have gone into emergency medicine, it's probably true. Is I was enjoying a lot of the aspects of medicine that you don't get with when you pursue orthopedics or pediatrics or OBGYN. And I did go through that whole transition of each time you did a, a, a one of the clerkships, hey, maybe I want to do this for a living. And realizing that emergency medicine brought all that together and then going to that first emergency medicine rotation in Dartmouth, it's a great medical school. It was a tertiary quaternary care center in Hanover. So you did a lot of 
rotation outside of there for your primary care or your things like emergency medicine. So that's why I was out of San Francisco doing it out there. And, and it really did bring all together. I remember a shift wonderfully as a student where I saw delivered a baby and saw a pediatric meningitis case because you saw meningitis back then, that mm -hmm. was before vaccinations. Um, and we took care of an MI and a bad car accident and a little bit kind of all these things and some fractures, some orthopedic fractures. That we, yeah. um, and I remember walking out and thinking, yeah, this feels like when my grandfather, who was a general surgeon in Flint, Michigan in the 1930s and 40s. Okay. That's, that's a picture up there. Um, he was the, what I viewed as the consummate, it's my grandfather on the left and my father on yeah. the right. Uh, he was a consummate all-purpose physician because he was a general surgeon, so he'd take your appendix out, but he'd also go, go to your house and deliver your baby. I mean, this is the 1940s. Um, he would manage your hypertension because they only had two medications to do it back then. So yep. you tried one or the other. He would do literally everything for you. He was your primary care doctor that would also operate on you if you needed to, uh, to have your appendix out of your gallbladder or something like that. Yeah. I, and I remember listening to him talk when I was really little about what he was doing and taking care of the whole patient and going to houses and those type of things and thinking that that was what I always envisioned really a physician. And in, in the late 80s, early 90s, when you started to see the push towards specialization, uh, where it wasn't so much a general orthopedist anymore, it was a, a joint specialist or a sports medicine. And it wasn't anywhere near what it is today, but it was starting. And emergency medicine felt like that true generalist, back to what I always had envisioned as being a physician, doing a little bit of everything. And you're not, you're not the, the final end expert in most of these other areas, but you do have influence and effect on all walks of life, all aspects of things. And so that's what really walking out of that rotation focused me more on emergency medicine. So I actually applied for both and okay. got interviews in both orthopedics and emergency medicine. It wasn't until I was well into the interview process that I decided to, when, match, when my match list was due, yeah. I put down just emergency medicine. Just emergency medicine. What was the, uh, was it, was there anything beyond that generalist? Was there any like key that switched you over to where you were just said, I'm done with like orthopedics is not what I want to do. Was it that feeling of generalist or was there anything specific that really? No, I always kept a, a real uh, place in my, my heart and head for orthopedics. Yeah. Um, and I always even envisioned at one point even considered family practice with an orthopedic bend to it because again of the general stability but with, with the ability to have more involvement in uh, in that particular area because that was always of the many areas probably as as much of an interest in any yeah. um, but no I, I think by the end of at that point it was February that bachelor's was due and that July mm -hmm. had been when that rotation when I really walked out of that thing I think this is a specialty this that next it. six months really solidified that decision okay let's talk about your grandpa for one second did you, how much time did you spend with, with them when you were a kid? I was fortunate enough to really get to know my grandparents well. Um, he died when I was 18 or 19, so I got okay. to spend a fair part of my, in fact, all of my growing up years knowing him. Um, and we would get probably four or five weeks together a year. Okay. And it was focused time, so we could really concentrate on that time. Uh, and a lot of it was up, so he was a surgeon during the Depression. Okay and in Flint, Michigan. And what they would do then is exactly what you might expect during the Depression is there was no way for them to pay. Yeah. 
But the mentality was interesting. He used to describe patients coming to say, Doc, I'm going to pay you some way. I can't, I can't pay you. Money doesn't, is of no value. So I, I'm a, I have a farm and I have chickens, so here's chickens. And he would literally come home to, with, to my grandmother with a bunch of live chickens <laughs> and throw them out there. And I remember her describing, she said, what does he want me to do with those? She was recounting what that, that happened then. But along the way came somebody who had some land up in northern Michigan at a place called Higgins Lake. And he said, look, I've got, I've got 50 plots up there. You've operated on my leg. Go, go pick a plot. So he picked a plot. And another person said, look, I do house foundations. I do basements and foundations. Can I build you one? And he said, well, I got a plot up there. Build one. Another one said, I do, I do windows. And, and, and he had a, basically a, a cabin built up in up this lake in Michigan that is still in our family to this day. Really? And we would go spend two to three weeks there every summer as kids. And it was great. It is still to this day one of my favorite places in the world in the yeah. summer. The lake, swim, uh, water ski, do all of that stuff. And we would have really concentrated time. And he would talk about kind of what what his, he loved about his career and taking care of patients. And it was later in his career at that point, although he still saw patients Wednesday afternoons from 2 to 4, his, his, uh, his long-term loyal patients. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was probably the first seeds, even though my, both my parents were in medicine, but the first seeds of, you could tell, he loved taking care of people. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So when you matched, so you, I'm going to skip your intern, <laughs> your uh, transition year for a second. Yeah. But so maybe for maybe for this conversation. But uh, so you came to uh, Denver Health, and that was '89. No, sorry, so 90, I, 93, 93. 93, right? 93. So I graduated medical school in '92. Okay. Transitional year '92, '93, and so July of '93 is where I started here. Okay. At what was then Denver General. Okay. And what was that? What What do you think when you first stepped through the doors? So. It was again. It was one of those things where sometimes it just feels right. Yeah. And most of my life, that's been the best decisions I've made are when you walk in and just get a, you do an educated decision, but you go with your gut. And I would say that applies every day in the emergency department. Mm -hmm. Is is develop your gut feel and trust it. And I had not done my medical student rotation here. I hadn't didn't do know anything about Denver other than reputation and it had the same reputation the day I interviewed as it does today is it's everything from malignant to the best program in the country that you'll work hard but you'll come out a great physician and obviously that's the right one mm -hmm. uh, but I heard all the, the rumors and everything else and it just it based on reputation knew that it was a place I wanted to look at and when I came here and looked at it during the interview process it just felt right it felt you walked in the emergency department and you feel exactly what you feel now. You feel a passion for emergency medicine and for a, a, a real mission to the underserved. Yeah. And you could you could feel that as part of the culture from that day uh, and, and it carries on today. And so when I came through here, it it, it felt right. I ranked it first and was fortunate enough to, to match here. And so I remember walking in that first day as a, as a, as a fresh second year and I started off as a back here um, and and just feeling like yes this is this is fun yeah and, and it was it was different then but it was the same do you see can you can you see yourself at all in the in the new people that are coming in like do you do you recognize that oh yeah no every time the, the new class comes in and they're everybody's different and has their own personalities but they all have some degree of 
kind of wide-eyed, like, am I really here? Yeah. But also the excitement of, you know, I'm taking that step into where I will make a difference in people's lives. I'm going to actually be a doctor. And you can see that, that in their mindset. I'm not ready for it yet, but I can see now how I'm going to get there. And this is all part of it. And so let, let me soak it in. Let me let me get it all in, and I want to see everything and do everything. You can see that excitement in people that come in here. Part of it is because, obviously, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We look for people that have that type of passion, and they're willing, willing and excited about rolling up their sleeves and, and going at it. It's, it's, a, it's too much of a cliche and a generalization, but there are people that like, and I said, I like structured schedules. I don't mm -hmm. like structured environments. And... So this is not a structured environment. This is one where you're going to need to take some initiative. You're going to need to take responsibility for your own education, training, and there's plenty of resources for it, but it's not going to handhold, and yep. it's not going to take you through it. And if you don't have an initiative, this is not going to be the place you thrive. So we look for people that have that type of initiative. So by definition, most of them are coming in with that kind of, all right, how am I going to go about doing this? And I need a little guidance. I need a little help, but I'm ready to jump in with all... You know, both feet, both hands, let's go. Gusto. Yeah. Did you, so when you went, you went through residency and then uh, you went to Michigan for a couple of years? Is that correct afterwards? Right. So when I graduated okay. from residency, went to Michigan for, as an attending there at St. Joe's Hospital, which is an affiliate of the University of Michigan. Okay. So still teaching in academics was something that you were interested in at that yes. point. And did you have, because you worked with EMS pretty extensively there, what, did you develop that, uh, that kind of passion in... Uh, residency or was that did that come a little bit later no that was in residency we had a program there that we still have now although not as many are able to take advantage of it for a variety of reasons but what we have what we had then and that I did take advantage of was there's a lot of more rural EMS agencies that don't have access to local medical direction I think the best you can get is is local presence a, a local doctor there is willing to really put the time and effort and interest have the interest in doing it that's mm -hmm. the ideal there were a number of agencies across the state. There still are, but there certainly were then that don't have access to that. So we had the opportunity as residents to be their medical director with the oversight and direction of mentorship of the EMS folks here. So I, the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe, which is down near Four Corners uh, in Colorado, was one of those that had that need. And so I would go out there once a month. They would fly me out because it's a it's a, a good flight. One time I drove, it takes like eight hours to get out there. But um They'd fly me out, and I would stay there overnight and meet with them that afternoon, evening, and then most of the next day, and then fly, out, fly back the next day. And just go over all the different issues they were coming up with. We'd do medical direction, protocol development, uh, QA, all those things. And exciting people, some of which were just EMT basics that, that were just excited to take care of patients. had no idea what they were doing. But I remember thinking, this is a great way to really bridge that gap between patient's injury or illness and when they come to the emergency department and getting excited about EMS in that realm. And one of the things I was frustrated about at, back at University of Michigan in St. Joe's, it was a great job, but there wasn't really a lot of EMS opportunities. Mm -hmm. And and I remember missing that part of things and doing feeling great about clinical medicine and uh, taking care of patients, but not feeling like I was really pursuing that passion of things. And then lo and behold, uh, they called from Denver Health said we got a there was still Denver General then just in that transition to Denver Health uh, and they said well, you know we got a position are you interested and I remember thinking you know I'm happy here getting paid well great area everything is good 
I didn't even blink. I took the job. Just came right away. And that was that was to come to work with EMS and the residency at that point. Right. So okay. there were eight attendings at that point. Okay. Uh, at Denver General. Okay. And, um, and you did a little bit of everything. The specific role they were looking for was an associate EMS director. Okay. They, at that point, for a variety of reasons, the paramedic medical director, Vince was both the director of the department and the paramedic medical director. Okay. He needed help. Okay. And he needed an associate to come in, and I wasn't ready to take over as medical director, but he needed an associate to do the day-to-day stuff for him while he was overseeing the department. Um, and so that was a specific role I was in, but I was one of eight attendings. I, we all did 13 shifts a month, uh, four to five nights, and the shifts were very different then, though. We didn't do hardly any paperwork. We signed the charts, that was it. Okay. So you could really just do just take care of patients, just yep. hang out with residents and just take care of patients. We didn't do any documentation. Um, and you could hold meetings and actually write manuscripts during that things during shift. So it was it was a different era, but it was the same kind of mentality of the residents and their involvement. And so you're by definition, I wasn't in the residency leadership. I was in the EMS leadership, but you were part of the uh, integral core faculty of the residency. Okay. And I haven't, I haven't found the right way to, to frame this question, so I'll just put it out there. But I'm sure that the EMS guys have meant a ton to you through this, and you've probably learned a lot from them. Um, I would like a more specific question, but how, how do you how would you address just what kind of how they've helped your career develop and kind of what you've learned through the path? Um, that might be too broad. No, but, the, yeah. I think there are a number of people that that really, I mean, you know, the, the Peter Pons and Jed Rowe and others that were involved in EMS here that you could just tell they, they were excited about what they did and were some of them that cultivated. Even Ben Honigman, who was part of that program when I was a resident that, that helped get us involved with other state agencies and, and ultimately the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe. You could tell that they enjoyed what they're doing and when you had them talk about what it was, making that connection between these, again, a little bit like the residents when they come in that first day and they're bright-eyed yeah. and they uh, they don't. They, they know they don't really know that much, but they're really excited to get going, and that's what EMS is on just a different level. And what about what about like the medics and the the guys that are out there? On and the that was the other thing that I was spoiled here in that Denver Health has always been able to focus on the medicine and therefore attract people that were interested in medicine. So there's a lot of political issues and uh, and issues across the country about how how EMS should be structured and, and under different systems and there's a fire-based systems and there's private systems and those types of things. And there, there are a lot of very good systems in different areas, but what different health has been able to do is to say, we attract people that are passionate about medicine. And the paramedics here are good because they're passionate about medicine and they do a lot of it. Now, we balanced it, probably did too much of it then. They were running 15, 20 calls in a shift and uh, it was, we probably overdid it from that standpoint. But they love medicine, they were really good at it. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, you can you can take a lot of different levels as long as they're passionate about it. Yeah. What I, my experience with EMS at that time was this Ute, Ute Mountain Ute Tribe, which they were just all excited about doing something new. And then the Denver paramedics, which were really passionate about taking care of patients and medicine. And so then when you got out and, and realized that that was not the norm and that everybody in all EMS systems were passionate about medicine, you realized how important that is as part of a system. Yeah. Yeah, they're, I mean, I, 
I'm always impressed with those guys when they come in. I think I think you're right. Like the passion that they bring and their their level of sophistication is really. Um, you come here to to do to be a paramedic. Yeah. To take care of patients. Yeah. You don't come here to be to fight fires. You don't come here to be administrator. In terms of if you're a paramedic, some of them go on to those roles, but that's not why they come here. They come here to be a paramedic. Yeah. No, that's it's great. Um. So your transition through the. Uh, what was your first step into leadership in the in the residency? So, well, it started with the EMS, and then it transitioned into, and again, when eight attendings, everybody did everything. Yeah. So there were roles, you know, you were, most of us were associate residency director even before they had those positions. And who were the eight? Um, it so sounds it like was, a samurai movie. Like right. No, no, it was, yeah. it, it, was, it was the big eight. Well, here, those were the original eight, or at least the original eight from a residency standpoint. So okay. there you've got you know, Peter Rosen, uh, Bob Jordan, Steve Cantrell, John Marks, Vince Markovchek, Dave Barrower, uh, Norm Dinerman. Uh, yeah, so you got, I mean, it's, that's that's the original eight. That was before I was here. Yeah. Um, when I was here, it was, uh, so it was Vince Markovchek, mm -hmm. um, Peter Pons, Steve Cantrell, John Kennel had just started there, yeah. Jed Rowe was there, Kim Feldhouse, I, myself, and there was one other one. I'm blanking on it right now, but I'll, I'll think about it in a minute. But okay. So there were there were eight of us, and I remember because eight eight transitioned into thirteen shifts a month, and there was only one attending on for the entire department uh, at, at any one time. So you just kind of scrambling around trying to make sure you eyeballed everybody. Yeah. Um, but you did a little bit of everything. You did everybody did a little EMS. You did a little. You concentrated on one area, but you did a little bit of everything, and that was certainly part of the leadership. And then as I took over two years later took over the full medical direction of the paramedic division, mm -hmm. that involved a lot of residency issues with, related to the elective, related to the EMS core curriculum, all those things that be, by virtue of being here pulled me into a lot of areas of residency leadership as well as EMS leadership. And then ultimately then in 2009 when Vince stepped down I, and I was offered the interim position and then ultimately the full-time position of overseeing all of EMS, all of the residency, and the operation of the department as well. It's a big, it's a, it's a big job. It's a number, it's a lot of hats. It's a lot of hats. It is. Yes. Um, so, I'm trying to think about, like, do we talk about the changes that the, that the residency has made recently? I'm, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. Why don't we talk about, um, why don't we talk about kind of the transition to San Francisco a little bit? So what, uh, what do you really, what are the things that you've looked at there that, that have really intrigued you about going, going there? I think there's some, some similarities, yeah. uh, certainly. In, in the end, the reason I made the decision to do this was they made, it, they made a very nice, off, nice offer yeah. at an, an, another iconic institution like Denver Health. And we have some strong family ties there. My wife grew up there. Um, so, so it's a great offer and a great place with family ties. That's the, that's the decision. It was by no means a desire to leave Denver. But I always had envisioned if I was going to ever leave Denver, what it, would it be? And it would be a place like San Francisco General. Yeah. And they've got a storied tradition, storied history that's different from Denver. And the idea of potentially blending two storied traditions together and bringing in, and I, you know, again, ideally, the, the best aspects of both. Yeah. Uh, 
has always been a, a, an intrigue of mine. And at this stage in my career, there's the, the, the I could see staying at Denver the entire time and having, having a wonderful career and being extraordinarily satisfied because yeah. there's everything about this job is is intriguing, challenging, and satisfying. Yeah. It should also be the time if you were going to do a change. That yeah. I'm 50 years old. I'm here for 18 years. At some point, there's there's something to be said about some new blood. Yeah. Um, for Denver as well as for San Francisco, and you could see they were really looking for some new blood to come in and not not change everything, but bring in some some new ideas to to supplement the the storied tradition that they already have. And you could see where where Denver could really uh, benefit from something like that as well. And so all that together, I think, uh, helped make this. It would have would have been for a very few institutions that I would ever consider leaving Denver for, but San Francisco in general is one of them. And what are what are the big things that you think that Denver's given you that you're going to be able to bring to, to San Francisco to really kind of keep rising up the program there? Well, a foundation, I, I think, of, of demand for excellence, of patients always being first, and for clinical care being the passion. As medicine is going in a lot of different directions across this country, and you can say it's good, bad, or indifferent, but passion for clinical medicine has got to be the base of what we are doing, and it's not for everything where medicine is going. It is here, and here as I can tell, it, it certainly is San Francisco General, but it's something that uh, uh, that we certainly want to go in, in that direction. San Francisco is ahead in some areas and behind in others, so we'll, they'll have certainly big challenges, just has had great successes there. Um, similar to Denver, but I think Denver is a foundation that, A, it all starts with clinical medicine, a dedication to outstanding patient care first and foremost. Emergency medicine being not just a legitimate specialty, being the core of, of what we're about in the emergency department, mm -hmm. uh, and, and really having the questions be what can we do better for patients as a team? Not should emergency medicine be involved in this or should they be doing procedures or those type of things, but those are all turf battles that, interesting, again, going back in history, when my dad started in orthopedics in 1962, he was told, we don't need orthopedics. We've been doing this all along. Surgeons have been doing it. We don't need orthopedics. Why do we need bone specialists? Yeah. Um, they were. They spent his first ten years as kind of a felt like an, an unneeded specialty that uh, that it, we uh, that didn't have the respect or or the background that others did. And it sounded a lot like emergency medicine in the mid seventies. Uh, a lot of people came in and said, "Why do we need that specialty?" We now know that you know the idea of not having an orthopedic surgeon is just as absurd as the idea of not having emergency medicine. Emergency medicine is core to a system that takes care of patients. That's what Denver has always been about. Yeah. They're lucky to get you. I mean, they're lucky to get you. We can, we can leave it at that. I, um, well, thank you. You're nice to say that. I, I think, again, it, um, it has been, it's been a very bittersweet transition for me because I, I love everything about Denver and yeah. not looking to leave, and it's really hard to yeah. think about leaving Denver. But it's also an exciting opportunity to, to see 
there are other things out there and, and probably some areas that, yeah, that, that my perspective can help. Maybe some areas that I can grow that, uh, that a new place needs to, to do that for. And at this stage in my career, that's still exciting for me. That's still something that I want to do. Yeah, that's great. I, and I, I think it seems like I'm the last person to say people shouldn't make transitions in their life because I've made plenty of them. And I, I think that those kind of those kind of challenges and um, uh, where we go, hopefully at the end at the end at the end of the game, which is kind of the end of our life, so that we we can look back and say that we you know that you played the game well. I can't remember if it's from some movie somewhere, but um, it seems like you're making great decisions. Well, and, 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 and I love that perspective and, and a little bit of asking back. When you look back at those transitions in your life, yeah, don't you look at those? I mean, do you regret any of them? No. And and I, I look back at the same thing. Is when I've taken taken the biggest risks, have you know, high risk, high reward is a cliche for a reason. Yeah. Uh, taking the biggest risks, stepped out there and really done those transitions, some of those have been the most rewarding. Yeah. Well, yeah. I hope it goes great. I mean, you've had, there's so much that we could talk about. I just, I really wanted to have some time to sit down and kind of um, get an idea of where you've at, where you've come from. And um, and, and I think this has been, uh, this has been great. Well, thank you for doing this. It's a lot of fun yeah. from my standpoint to do it. It's fun to reflect and to look forward. And, uh, you know, again, the, the roots, I've always said one of the, one of the greatest things I hope to give, to provide for residents is roots and wings. Yeah. The roots, the foundation from which to grow on and the wings that are going to carry them to where their passions take them. If we can do that, we can do that for the residents, we can do that for our families. Um, what greater what greater legacy can we leave? Yeah. And Denver has done that for me and for so many residents as well. It's given a solid foundation that, that I'll never lose. And then and the wings are really go and pursue things, things like this. And the idea of bringing some of what I think is great about Denver to other areas is actually it's really exciting. Yeah, no, I I think it sounds great, and I'll be I'll be watching and hopefully keeping an eye on on how San Francisco goes. Yeah, well, good because yeah. I you know I hope that I hope that as as these next couple years evolve that we can really see that that impact of not of first embracing what they already do very well, um, and also hopefully bringing in some of uh, a, a kind of a Denver mindset yeah. too. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. This is fun. Yeah, totally. Let me let me ask you, what are your what are your are kids? Do you have like a how many doctors do you have in your family going back? Uh, if you talk about you no, know, my grandfather was the first. Was, the first. Um, was he then, an immigrant? He, he well, sort of. Um, okay. He uh, his family came actually through Canada. Dutch, very his parents were Dutch. Uh, he came as a young child up through Canada and then down actually through New York and then over to Genesee County, which was now Michigan and, and other areas as well. Okay. Uh, and so, and, and, and traveled there. But he was the first physician. He's actually a pharmacist. And this is his, uh, what he took through pharmacy school. This is his own crime. Border and Yeah, literally what he would grind the medications <laughs> when they when they built it himself. And, and he started pharmacy school and then he went to Matt, uh, Detroit College of Medicine and Surgery, uh, which is now Detroit Receiving, okay. um, is, uh, is is where he did his, his medical school. And then, so his, both of his sons, my father and my uncle, yeah. were surgeons. Um, okay. And then my mom's brother is an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, and then I've got several cousins that have also gone into medicine. And, 
been several that went to the university as well. So. Okay. It's your brothers and sisters. I do. One's a, a Presbyterian minister okay. in Pasadena, California, and one to Homemaker Home. Both of them said we didn't want to do this. Did not. What about your kids, you think? So they all say now, but one's 15, yeah. uh, one's 13, and the other's nine. They all say they want to be doctors, but I don't know whether yeah. it, they'll pursue that or not. That's a really cool like legacy of passion about something. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, and, and you know, part of me, I, I don't want to put any expectations on it, because again, you can, you can want nothing more for, than for people to be able to follow their passion. Yeah. If their passion is medicine, I love it, but I would much rather have them follow whatever it is that their passion is rather than go into medicine because... And that's what I think I struggle with most of you were talking about. Yeah. I love I love the topics here because it's it's brings in a lot of other things that yeah. are kind of real life issues. But that's what I struggled with in, in college was am I going to medicine because I think I should because my dad did it and he was successful? And I think for a while I really was convinced that was what it was. Yeah. It wasn't until I saw that that actually I really do love taking care of patients. Maybe a little different than what that than what it looked like for him, but that, that it wasn't until I made that decision that I really felt like that was the right decision. And I want the same thing for my kids. Yeah. You know that scene, like being in the in the operating room and looking down and seeing your dad's name on it. That's like a mythologic. That's like a <laughs> mythologic point, right? Where you, where like the son following the father has that insight in, into that and, time. On the one hand, it was it was truly thrilling, but on the other hand, it was I, I remember a deep pit in my stomach. Yeah. And looking at that, thinking I'm going to spend the rest of my career just saying, "Oh, you're Dr. Caldwell's son," and saying, "No, actually, I am Dr. Caldwell," but. Uh, <laughs> And even to this day, it's kind of funny because when I go back home in San Diego, yeah. they, uh, I, there are many that, that still look at me as, uh, as, as my dad's son. Obviously, that's how I grew up. But it, uh, but I remember thinking that day, I remember walking out of the operating room thinking, this is not what I want to do. Yeah. I want to spend all that time just hearing because everybody around there knows my dad. And everybody, this was in Boston. He was in San Diego, but he's well published. He did it, particularly in the joint special area, which is I was uh, spending time with him. Yeah. Knew him, and they all talked about you know what a great surgeon he was, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, I'm going to spend all my time just trying to match up to that. Made a good choice. I think so. Yeah, I think so for for a variety of reasons. A because it's what I love doing, and B because I was able to kind of put my own uh, my own path. Yeah, and your stamp on a lot of things too. Great. Good to see you. Thanks for doing this. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Emergency Medicine Mission Statement, Denver Health Medical Center. As an outstanding department of emergency medicine and emergency medicine residency, our mission is to provide excellence in patient care, education, and research. We strive to educate leaders in emergency medicine, stressing the importance of excellence in patient care being the ultimate goal. We recognize the fact that residents and academics are what connect us inspire us and make us strong and it is therefore through this vision of emergency medicine residency that we shape our future as a department